0: Now, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah for the last couple of weeks, and because you are an above-average audience, I know that you will know the answers to the questions I'm going to ask you. Here's a trick question. Who is the central character in the book of Nehemiah? Well, someone said Jesus. You've been to Sunday school. That's good. Uh, Nehemiah, yes, and God. Okay. What was the problem? What was the challenge that Nehemiah was facing in this book? There was a broken wall. He was going back to the city of his ancestors, Jerusalem. He had a very cushy, top-level civil service position in the Persian Empire at the time. And he got involved in a problem uh, involving his countrymen 800 miles away in kind of the backside of the empire in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a mess. The walls were down. What's the problem back in those days? A city with no walls, what was the issue? No security. Um, you know, the city would not be able to truly prosper. It wouldn't even really be on the map unless people had the security of a wall to protect it. So things were in a serious uh, plight. It had been left in a pile of rubble for over a hundred years. Nehemiah gets this burden from God to go back and start a rebuilding project. Now, miraculously, God intervenes and gives Nehemiah favor with the Persian king at the time, who says, Nehemiah, here's a blank check for your building project. Just let me know when you're going to be back. Just go and do it. So Nehemiah arrives um he he surveys the situation he rallies the troops he says look at the problem we are in he identifies with the people he doesn't call them a bunch of losers and tell them how terrible they are which might have been tempting he does not he says look at the problem we are in this is a natural a, a national reproach a national disgrace that we are, that Jerusalem, God's city, is in such a mess. So let's get together and let's rebuild this wall. What do you say? And everybody rallies to the task and away they go. Now, this morning, it's probably one of the most boring texts you will ever read. So I'm not going to read it to you. And you're not going to read it to me. Now, what are you saying, Rick, that's heresy. This is the Bible. It's God's word. It's very important. Yes, it is. But Nehemiah chapter 3 contains mostly a list of over 50 practically unpronounceable names. I love the way people just kind of fake it because half the audience doesn't know when you're reading these names. And uh, it goes on in saying so-and-so built this part of the wall and it makes a list. And it's not really that interesting, but there's some really cool principles that I want to draw out of the story. I'm wondering how many people have looked at a monument or statue in the last year? Anybody look at one? Looked at a monument or a statue? Oh, come on, tour your city. We have a lot of cool statues here in the city. Do you ever stop and read the names on the cenotaph or anything like that? Probably not, right? We don't find the list of names that interesting. Unless we have a personal connection. On this next slide I'm going to show you, this is a monument that I saw last summer. Um, It's close to the hometown of Bowman Sound, Ontario, where I grew up. And it's got a very, you can't see it, it's in a very striking setting. It's overlooking the deep blue waters of Georgian Bay in uh, southwest Ontario. It's just a gorgeous place. And it's basically, it's a tea service. They've got this big slab of granite and they've got a teapot and some teacups up. And what it's commemorating is the longest existing chapter of the Women's Institute of Canada. I don't know if you're familiar with the Women's Institute. It's basically a bunch of, a collection of rural ladies banding together for mutual encouragement and support and networking and things like that. And they do good works in the neighborhood. And basically kind of a support group. And so these ladies have been meeting for over 110 years. And this longest existing chapter of the Women's Institute It's very significant in our family because my great-grandmother's name is on that monument. And to be honest, that's the only reason I stopped there and took a picture. Because Martha West has got her name on that monument. And I wanted you to know who Martha West was. She lived to be 103, and she had a lot of challenges in her life. In fact, this monument was built about 30 years after she died. So she didn't even know her name was going to be remembered in that way. But behind every name on the list, there's a story, right? And again, if you want to go home and read through Nehemiah 3, it is interesting if you read it with the proper perspective. Because behind every name that God has recorded in, that story, in, in, in the story is, is significant, that person meant something deeply to God, and he wanted Nehemiah to record those names. So you remember, here's the problem of uh, what we were facing. Um, who was involved in rebuilding the wall? Well, Nehemiah very carefully lists everyone who is involved in reading the wall. And in fact, I misled you. I am going to read one verse from Nehemiah chapter 3. So fasten your seatbelts, and here it comes, okay? Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, you all know where the Tower of the Hundred is, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. You don't even know if I pronounce that properly. I'm just going to fake it, Hananel, all right? And so on, and there's about 31 more verses of stuff all like this, and it says, and -and so-and-so built the next part, and -and so-and-so built the next part. You get the idea, and you may be grateful that I'm not reading it all to you. But there's some very important principles to find out just even in this first verse, and we see this um, as we go on to the next slide. Leaders have to lead by deeds, not just words. Do you think Eliashib the high priest had that much professional training in construction management? No, I don't think so either. Probably not. But there was a need there. And God had rallied the people together and said, we've got to roll up our sleeves, you know, gird up our loins, you know, tie up our tunics, or whatever they did back in those days, and we've got to get to work. And it's interesting that Nehemiah starts the story of the reconstruction of the wall and he starts the list with the high priest. Not because he was the most important guy, but he may have been the, whole, the most unlikely guy in the whole nation to be involved in getting hands dirty in, uh, in a building project like this. And leaders have to lead by deeds, not just words. We cannot afford any armchair quarterbacks on God's team. It's easier for us to sit back and pick out what everybody else is doing wrong in the church and say, well, if I was in charge, I would do things differently. And if you were really in charge, would it really be different? Probably not so much. So we can't afford armchair quarterbacks in God's family. And Eliashib was acting as a godly leader should. He was out in front of the work leading by example. He did not act as if he was too spiritual Hard work of building walls. I think I've been trying to get across to you ever since I've been here that everything in life is spiritual. The way we make coffee when people gather here in the morning, the way we greet people, the, the way we practice worship, the way we interact with each other coming in. That's why I want you to practice. Do you remember the three minute rule? Has anybody forgotten the three minute rule? Let me remind you of the three minute rule. The reason we spend three minutes after the service greeting someone that we don't know very well is that we're trying to build community on purpose. We don't want to be just a commuter church who just drops in here for an hour, maybe an hour and a half if the preacher's too long-winded, on a Sunday morning and then disappear again. We're trying to build community, get to know each other and pray with each other. That's the beginning of the three-minute rule. So that's very important, right? God... Wants us to work together. And leaders have to lead by deeds, not just by words. Otherwise, to be honest, you're not a leader. You're just a windbag, to be honest. You're just hot air. Because as a leader, other people are looking hard at you and they follow your example. Leadership isn't that hard. It's monkey see, monkey do. But you better make sure you're doing the right thing so people imitate you in the right way, right? After they built this gate, it said they consecrated it. And the idea behind consecration was to regard it as something special, as uniquely set apart for God's glory and service. So these city gates were made special to God. Nehemiah and Eliashib the high priest knew that God wanted everything set apart as special to him, including these city walls and gates. Now, it's just a gate. It's just a wall. Nothing super attractive about it. Hopefully it was straight. Hopefully, Eliashib was wise enough supervisor that he built it plumb and square and so that it would last. But they dedicated it to God and said, Lord, this is our way of serving you and our way of worshiping you. There it is. I don't know if you noticed, but a couple of weeks ago, Garth redid the floor in the multi-purpose room. It shines. It's beautiful. He did a great job. It looks absolutely great. And he's done some of the other floors in his building. Now, I don't know if he's within earshot. He'd probably be embarrassed if I was talking about him. So don't tell him I said this, all right? So I think Garth, that's his way of serving God, you know, by taking care of the building. That's the way he does it. He does a good job. He takes a lot of pride in his work. That's his way of serving, right? So whatever we do for God, if we do it with the right attitude, it's an act of Worship. Worship isn't just about the music that we sing in the first 20 minutes of the service. It's it's how we live our lives. And that's what Nehemiah is trying to get across when he makes the list of these over 50 individuals in this chapter. All these folks got together and worshipped and worked hard together. And the leaders set the example. The key to this is we need to remember there are opportunities to serve for everyone. It wasn't left to a few experts just a few master masons to take over and the people of Israel didn't say oh well let someone else do the job I've done my time I've served on that committee or whatever let someone else do the work no everybody pitched in there are opportunities to serve for everyone and as we see next there's lots of work to be done now I want I wonder I don't know if anybody's redhead or, well, not cheated. But if anyone's read ahead in Nehemiah, can you tell me, or let's take an educated guess, guess what professions are listed in this chapter? There are a few professions listed, and if you were going to make a list of over fifty individuals who've been involved in such a large public works endeavor as rebuilding the walls of a large city. What kind of professions would you most likely see in this list? Shut them out. Carpenters? Carpenters. Yeah. Pardon? Architects. Architects? Yeah. Engineers? Yeah. Sorry? Masons? Yeah. You need them. Laborers? Yeah. Well, let me tell you who's listed. Priests? And Levites, they were kind of like worship assistants in the temples. Uh, Goldsmiths. Goldsmiths are really important when you build a city wall. And probably the most important profession listed in Nehemiah chapter 3, wait for it, perfume makers. Uh, Nehemiah doesn't record that they rebuilt the dung gate, which would have been appropriate for a perfume maker, but the perfume makers were involved. What does that tell us, that interesting little detail? It doesn't talk about the the master masons and the architects and the engineers and all these things. I'm sure people like that were involved. Everybody pitched in in some way. But Nehemiah made sure to write down for our benefit, you know what, there were were goldsmiths working on this wall. And priests and Levites and and some guy, like they they were working together in families And Nehemiah was very shrewd. He made sure that many of the people were building the wall by their own house. Now what's the secret in that? You're building the city wall in your own backyard. You're going to make sure you do a good job, right? You're going to be accountable. They say, okay, this is my part of the neighborhood and no one's going to get in this way, so I'm going to make very sure I do a good job of building this wall. There was even one gentleman... Apparently he didn't have any sons, but he and his daughters rebuilt their section of the wall. So Nehemiah was an equal opportunity employer. I was really glad to see that. These are all the nuggets you pick out when you read through Nehemiah 3. So now I know you're going to want to go home and read this. But what does this tell us? It tells us there's lots of work to be done, but the key ability is availability. Availability. This next slide I'm going to show you has got a list of several people in the Bible who had some challenges. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. And he was a murderer, too. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. A bit of a wimp, really. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered he had a speech impediment, Zacchaeus was too short, Abraham was too old, and Lazarus, well, he was dead. There's a problem. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So maybe you're sitting there saying, give me all kinds of reasons, while well, Rick, I can't be involved, I can't help out, I'm not really worth, my contribution isn't worth very much, because dot, 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 and you're coming up with excuses. Well, look at this Hall of Fame that I've just read you in front of the screen. God delights in using ordinary people and doing extraordinary things through them. Amen? Come on, you're cheering for Canada this morning. Amen, right? Yeah, right on. Now, hold that emotion just a little bit, just for another 10 seconds, because I want you to go home and do something about this. Don't just come and say, well, that was kind of a heartwarming story about building the wall, and it's neat that there were perfume makers and women and priests and goldsmiths involved. That's interesting. The next Bible trivia contest I get involved with, I will trump them. But so what? I want us to remember that the key ability in serving God is availability. God can do so much with people who are just available. Unfortunately, the people in this chapter who do not come out so well are people called, described as the nobles of Tekoa. It was a nearby town, and they were kind of the, the ruling class in that town. They did not want to get involved. The scripture says they would not submit to the authority of Nehemiah and the other builders, so they just sat passively in the sidelines. They didn't want to join in. The people of Tekoa were enthusiastic. In fact, it describes them building two different sections of the wall, so they got right in there. But the people who should have been leading were passive, and they missed out. And I'm wondering if just through the grace of God, that Nehemiah did not name them personally, they were just lumped together as the nobles of Tekoa. I don't want to be in that group. I want to be out there building the wall with everybody else and doing my part in God's kingdom. Because the key ability in God's economy is availability. Okay. Now, keep in mind that God knows your contribution. Whether it's written down on a monument, like my great-grandmother, or written down in the Bible, God knows your contribution. This may be some kind of encouragement to you, I don't know. But it's very likely that you will not get, we will not be rewarded for everything we do for God in this life. That's all right. I was talking to somebody before the service this morning and said, You know, my grandma told me it was better to be a poor person in this life and live for God and avoid sin than to be someone with all the riches of the world and ignore God. His grandma nailed it right there. Because eternity is a very long time. We're going to make it maybe to 80-some years. That's our life expectancy. Maybe some of you are across that line. Congratulations. Man, I hope I can get there with most of my marbles intact and feeling relatively... I hope I'm a gentle soul and kind when I get older, not not grumpy. But... After that, what then? After that. So we need to invest our lives in something that's going to count in something that's going to outlast us, and that's building God's kingdom, not ours. And listen, God knows your contribution. You might not get your name up on lights and up in a plaque somewhere. That's all right. God is keeping score. He knows. The problem with some Christians is that they want recognition for everything they do in this life. And if they chase after that and chase after people's approval, it's just pathetic. So don't be like that because you can trust God. God knows your contribution. Okay. This note is from the women's hockey team. Um, the the Canadian National Women's Hockey Team, sent to the Canadian Men's National Hockey Team before they played that semifinal game against the U.S. where they won won 1-0. The secret to the Canadian Men's men's Hockey Team is that they played like a team. This morning, one of the announcers in the third period said, all these superstars check their egos at the door and they are playing their roles. It doesn't matter if they sit on the bench for the whole game or if they play three minutes or if they play 20 minutes, they're all working together for a common goal and i think the key to the success of the men's hockey team is that they played like girls they played like canadian girls and this is a note that the canadian women left for those guys the night before the game tonight is yours own the moment we are proof that every minute matters the podium is reserved for the brave earn every inch dictate the pace and go get them for the little smiley face because it is a note from girls right (laughs) so think about that a team of 22 superstars this morning defeated another team of superstars why because they played together they had a common goal that's the story behind nehemiah chapter 3 because people were serving together and and working towards a common goal as a church we are in a similar position to the folks back in Nehemiah. The walls are down. They need to be rebuilt. God is in the process of rebuilding and retooling and re-energizing this church. I can see it. People who have been here longer than me can see God's doing something too. As we go through this refocusing process, as God leads us, and as he guides us, and as he helps us sharpen our focus and sharpen our reason for being, And as he leads us to people who need to find Jesus and have their lives transformed by Jesus, not by us, not by anything we do, but by the Jesus that we can introduce them to. That's pretty exciting because it doesn't really depend on our abilities, although God does give us spiritual gifts and talents and things like that. He uses those. But what really counts is availability not ability. And you watch what God can do with someone who's sold out to him and saying, okay, Jesus, here's a blank check. Nehemiah's king gave him a blank check to rebuild Jerusalem, right? Do you dare to give God a blank check with your life? Do you dare? If you do, you will find out what life's all about. You can trust him. There's lots of things that hold us back from following Jesus. We had a discussion about that a few weeks ago. All our fears and hang-ups and sin and all that stuff. It's like rubble like that needs to be cleared away so God can focus in and change us from the inside out. But you watch, friends. You watch and see what Jesus can do with us as a church family. This is the final thought that I want to leave with you here this morning. You are either part of the problem or part of the solution. So make your choice. In fact, I'll change that to we. We are either part of the problem or part of the solution. What do you want to be? How do you want to be remembered? By God. Not necessarily by other people. But how do you want to be remembered by God? Were you part of the problems at Elam or part of the solution? Me, I like to be part of the solution. And I'm sure you would too. Let's pray, okay? Father, I pray that you guide us through this refocusing process. I pray that you would put it on our hearts to pray really hard and earnestly for your spirit to guide us as a church family. We know that you can pull us together. You can do anything you want to because you are God and we are not. So we pray fervently in Jesus' name that you would give us what we need to do what you are calling us to do as a church family. And we pray that we would see lives transformed, our lives and the lives of other people, transformed by the power of Jesus. We're craving that. We're desperate for that. So will you pour out your spirit on us? We pray these things confidently. Lord Jesus Christ, amen.